morning, Sunridge. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. If Sunridge is your home, welcome back. I just love it that uh, our church gathers together twice on Sunday morning uh, to do this thing. Uh, before we sit down, what I would love to do is something that we did last week. Read the scripture that we're going to look at today. So I'm inviting you. I'm going to put the uh, verses up on the screen. Uh, we're studying Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we're, today we're at chapters, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. So uh, if you're inclined, read along with me. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Great job! Great job! Let's pray. God, um, today we ask that you would speak to us as a church and speak to us as individuals through uh, these uh, miraculously preserved words that the Apostle Paul wrote to a little church 2,000 years ago. There are people in our audience today, God, that you well know that are just thriving and they're at their peak Christian life, that Life is so good for them, and I pray that today they would just be fanned into flame to do even more and greater works for you, and that they would have a passion in their hearts, deeper and, and more on fire to follow you. And I pray also, though, for those that are here today, and life's a struggle, and it's a challenge, and I pray that somehow, through uh, your spirit, I'd be able, through 30 minutes of talking, to encourage everybody to take the next step in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for reading along. You know, um, right now, all over the world, people are praying. They're praying in cars, in barracks, at soccer and basketball tournaments. People are praying stuck in traffic right now. And some are praying in emergency rooms. All of them are talking to God and listening to him. Some are thanking him for his amazing blessings. And some are begging him for an impossible miracle. They're praying for their country, their kids, their husbands, their wives, a friend, for their favorite team that's going to play today praying for a promotion, for a job that they're pursuing. Some are even praying for their dog, right? Who are the people that are faithfully praying for you? Someone come to mind? Who are the ones you'd really want praying for you right now? Do they know? What do you want them to be praying 
And who have you been praying for? If Imagine that today you heard from someone that you consider very important, like, like someone who's a very important Christian in your life, maybe a Christian leader, and you heard that they're praying for you. And that you heard that because you received a written letter from them. That somebody had traveled hundreds of miles by foot to hand deliver to you. And that that letter that was written to you was, that comes to you from a person who is in the middle of suffering. In fact, they're in prison. And yet what you learn in this letter is that This person has been praying for you. They care deeply for you. And they want the very best for you. That's what we're reading today. This letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, the believers in this city about 100 miles inland from the port of Ephesus, is written from the Apostle Paul to this church that he had never visited. As best we can tell, it was started by two lay people, Epaphras and Philemon, which we'll learn more and more about as we go through this letter. And yet the Apostle Paul, if you don't know much about your New Testament, it's like these are churches that he cared for. And he wrote these letters uh, to them, and, and they were miraculously preserved for us to look at. They're not written to us specifically, but they're written for us. And when these believers at Colossae received this letter, they learned that not only does the great Apostle Paul know about them, but he is also praying for them. In verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Can you imagine how encouraging that was, how impactful that would have been to these believers? But what is he praying for? Why is he praying for him? Is he praying because of all the struggles that they're having or that they're all messed up or the challenges that they have or their cat is sick? All good reasons to pray. Maybe not praying for your cat who's sick. The reason why Paul was praying for them, if you were here last week, is we saw that they are thriving. They're thriving as believers. In fact, even though he had never been there, he says, I've heard about you. I heard about you. And you are bearing the fruit of a deep faith, of abiding hope, and a love that you're sharing, the love of God in the world. And these people are making disciples who are making disciples. They are doing really well. They're thriving and flourishing. And his prayer elevates the Lord that they're following and also the perspective of life that they have. It kind of reminds me of a time in my life uh, when a football coach took me aside and he said, Look, Britt, you are my best player. Someone found that funny. <laughs> it actually happened, you know. I was, I was 18, the kids I was playing with were 12. So, <laughs> no, I'm not telling you a story for that reason. But he says, You're my best player, but I need more from you. Maybe you've gotten that speech from a coach or a teacher or a parent. You're doing great, but I need you to go to another level. That's what Paul is doing here. 
And here's what he's praying for them specifically. And I've highlighted different thoughts. Verse 9, he says, I'm praying, I'm continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And you can see that I've highlighted in yellow a category of thoughts and I've highlighted in blue a different category of thoughts. And basically, this is what Paul says he's praying for. He says, you need to know something or someone, and you need to do something. Do you see that? That's what he's praying. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and preserved for us to read today. This is what I would call Christian Living 101. What Paul is praying into these believers are what I call the fundamentals, not preschool Christianity, but the fundamentals. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in business or you're in sports, whatever industry you're in, whether you're in the church world or the nonprofit world or just in your job, you never grow beyond the fundamentals. The fundamentals are the key. And so what Paul is praying for these believers are the fundamentals of living the Christian life in a way that you flourish and thrive, regardless of your circumstances. The things that he prays, is, it's what every new Christian needs to know. They are what every seasoned Christian needs to be reminded of. And it's what every person exploring faith needs to to be informed of. This is Christian Living 101. He says, number one, what I'm praying for is that you continue growing in your knowledge of God. You continue growing in your knowledge of God. Now, I want you to notice that it's growing. That's ongoing. Paul isn't saying, thank God that one time you grew. This is an ongoing practice. Not, I grew once back in the day. We're to continue growing in his knowledge. And in fact, this phrase, to be filled with the knowledge of God, is the same way Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're used almost uh, interchangeably. That God wants us filled with his Spirit, but he also wants us filled with the knowledge of who he is. And you know, Jesus said to his disciples, um, my sheep know me. Part of Christianity, or even I would say like step one, is knowing who God is. If you ask me to pull up one of my Facebook friends that I may not know that well, as an acquaintance, and you said, so, you know, like, tell me some stuff about them. I could probably tell you what they like to eat. I could tell you what the last vacation they went on, and especially I can tell you the people that went to Hawaii last summer and it didn't rain their whole vacation. <laughs> because I'm bitter about that. Um, but if you ask me something deeper about them, like, you know, what are their dreams? What, what are the challenges they're having in their family or in their marriage? Or how do they feel about gossip or adultery? What are, what are their thoughts about that? I would have no idea. But if you ask me about someone named Cindy Sype, what she likes to eat, 
what she's dreaming about when we go to lunch, what beverage she's going to want me to get for her, what she wants to do on a day off, what, the thi- what are the things that she's struggling with, with. I wouldn't have to call her. I wouldn't have to ask her what it is. I would just know. You know why? Because we met in 1977, and we started dating, and we got married in 1978. And, you know, since that time, we have been talking and living and doing life together for over 40 years. And we've been through the ups, and we've been through the downs. And it doesn't matter that, you know, today we, we know each other in a way that those of you that have been married for a long time, you, you know what that's like. But, you know, even though I know her well, I'm never done knowing her. And our relationship with God is a lot like that. In fact, I, I see a lot of parallels between my relationship with my wife and how I pursue God. Because when you, when you care about somebody, when you're in a relationship with them, it's an ongoing thing that you're constantly discovering something about them. And in order to do that, you have to make an investment in it. You have to desire to do that. You have to put effort into that relationship. And just like you may know, or it may, it, this may describe your marriage, that like, you know, you've ended up in a rut. Or, you know, it's like you've drifted apart. You know, we're at an age where, you know, there's a, there's a phenomenon called gray divorce. I've talked about it before. People that get to our age, and it's like they've been, they've been married for 30 years or so, and yet kids are gone, and, and they discover in the middle of that, that period of their life that they don't even know each other. They've just drifted apart, and the way that's happened is they have not been putting the effort into getting to know each other. They stop doing what they did in the beginning. Now, this is, this is not a message about marriage, but you see the equivalent, right, in our relationship with God. How do I get to know God? I, I get to know God by reading my Bible. It's pretty simple. And, you know, I bet you a, a lot of you here today, I'm not judging, but, like, how long has it been since you, re- you read your Bible? You know, that's, that's like square one. And growing, ongoing growing in your relationship with God. You say, well, it's hard. You know, I don't know where to start. It's like, get the daily bread. That's available online. Get, get the free app, version, and read your Bible. Read any plan. Just, we should be regularly in God's Word. We also get to know God by worshiping together. You know, it's an interesting phenomenon happening in the church today where people are committed less and less to church. But think about this, like, especially if you're often MIA from your church, for, of your own choice. I know that life has a lot to throw at us. So this, I'm not trying to put you under church guilt. But here's the thing. Think about this, that God made the church. And he designed the church to gather together in worship. So, of course, you, you, and you can kind of like boil that down to what happens at church. You get a message, you, you worship together in music, but it's like you can do that anywhere. But so there's something else that must happen here. So the idea that I can grow as a Christian and I can know God without being part of the way he's designed us to know him through the community of faith, it's impossible. So we have to be committed to the regular gathering 
of the body of Christ. Think about the extra investment you've made in, uh, in your relationship, in your marriage. I bet some of you have been to a seminar or have you read a book together. You've been to like a weekend retreat together in your marriage. And that's about like you go on dates. It's like you focus on one another to the exclusion of everything else. You know, I wonder how many of us here have been to a spiritual retreat, either one at Sunridge, women's retreats coming up, we have men's retreat in the fall, you know, or just one of your own choosing. Like where you say, you know, I'm going to take a weekend and I'm going to really reignite something in me. These are ways that we get to know God. And we get to know God through other Christians. You know, we're designed to do faith in community, not just in worship together, but you know, we, we learn so much about God from one another and being in a relationship with another and kind of like rubbing off on each other. You know, and if you've been anonymous here, you've been at Sunridge a long time or you're just kind of hanging out, that's okay. I'm not trying to shove you into the next thing, but like you need to really think about this, that you can't stay anonymous at your church. And we provide all these ways uh, for you to connect with people. We got a men's barbecue coming up. Guys, you need to come to that. It's not, look, we know you have something to do on Saturday. We, we have all kinds of, <clears throat> excuse me, Bible studies and groups. We've talked about, we're having um, uh, supper clubs coming up. The relationships happen at church just like they happen everywhere else. And you can't, if you really want to get to know God, it happens through other people. So take a step. Don't stay anonymous. Let your face be known and know others because it doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or a seasoned Christian. We are never done with knowing who God is. Now, Paul says we have to continue growing in our knowledge of God, but second, he says we have to continue living a life that reflects Jesus. This is fundamental. Continue living a life that reflects Jesus. The more we know of God, it should change us. It should make us more and more in our lives, look and reflect the, the character and the spirit and the attitude and the heart of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the two heresies that were affecting this church from within and from without. There was Gnosticism, which had so many different forms, um, but essentially it means having knowledge and there were, there were people in the church that thought that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, that he was like this divine being that came to bring them divine enlightenment. And so they pursued all these philosophies and ways of thinking, but they really didn't embrace the real Jesus. And then from within came legalism, which came, you know, like from the, the people that were so steeped in their tradition of religion that, you know, to them... Being spiritual was like doing things and like doing these rituals. And the thing about these two heresies, whether it's a Gnostic influence or legalism, they have the ability like a virus to mutate in every generation, and they look different. And we're being affected by this today. In the Christian community, it's pretty easy to think that we're spiritual because we have a lot of knowledge. And yet, the knowledge that we know of God should be changing us. That knowledge that we pursue has an outcome. It has a purpose. In verse 10, 
I'm gaining this knowledge, Paul says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. You see the, you see the outcome as I know God? It, my life reflects Christ. I live worthy of his name, and I bear fruit. Works come out. I serve. I use the gifts that God has given me to touch other people. By the way, this phrase of these words of worthy or fruit are favorites of the Apostle Paul in all of his letters to describe the outcome of knowledge. For instance, fruit. Last week we looked at verse 6 in Colossians 1 where he said all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. In Galatians 5.22, he said the fruit of the Spirit, the thing that the Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then he uses interchangeably that like a worthiness, a worthiness to name the name of Christ. Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, the things that we learn of God translate into a life that reflects Jesus and produces fruit, good fruit. Knowing God doesn't just produce knowledge. It doesn't just produce the the ability to tell the difference between good and evil. It doesn't just produce a moral lifestyle or or a philosophy of life. It changes us from the inside out to become like Christ. And when, we're, when we're, we're not seeing the knowledge, pursuing the knowledge of God in that way, this is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. Why would Paul be disparaging of something that is fundamental to our growth? He's talking about like when we just gain knowledge to have knowledge, and instead he's elevating the, knowledge, the person that that knowledge is of. It's about Jesus Christ. These two things of constantly growing in the knowledge of God and allowing that to produce the outcome of of Christ-likeness and fruit in our lives, these 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 are, you cannot separate these two. They go together. Because if we're trying to do works without growing, what happens? Maybe you've done that. You're trying to produce things. You're busy for God. You're, you're serving in all these areas, but you've let your, the inner part of your life grow stale. And so without that vibrant life of being connected to Christ and growing in your knowledge of Him, eventually you just kind of burn out. You feel empty. You feel drained and you don't have the passion anymore because you're doing things for God, but you're not pursuing knowing God. They they have to go together. I can tell you that um, in the many years that I've been a Christian, I've had some pretty major burnout moments. And you know, I have to say they weren't the result of something that got done to me. It, it, It was all my own fault because I'm an activist. I'm a doer. And I was doing without taking care of the person inside. But the other side is equally uh, damaging to to try and grow in our knowledge of God, but not generating good works. 
It's kind of like eating all the right foods without exercising. Now, it's, it's better than nothing, right, to eat healthy. But, you know, our bodies are made to take that fuel that we brought in and turn it into activity. And yet, it's easy for us to think that God wants me to just know a lot. And with all of, the, if the, all of that knowledge, if I just keep taking in, but nothing comes out of my life in the way of touching other people's lives and serving and using the gifts that God has given me, you know, you just get bloated as a Christian. You know that feeling of being bloated when you've just been plowing, you strapped the feed sack on during all the holidays, like Britt did, and you don't exercise and you just feel lethargic and it's like, I kind of see Christians acting like that who are like taking in and never giving out, never like getting down there where people need the help and just taking in, taking in, taking in. And it's like eventually you get like spiritual indigestion. You look, you, your face is like this. It's like, oh, I know, I read, you know, 18 chapters. <laughs> yeah, move around a little bit. Use some of that energy into touching people's lives. And by the way, growing in the knowledge of God is not work. It's not fruit. See, that's something, see, so like, if the main pursuit of your Christian life is knowing and it's not translating into doing, you got to rethink that. Because knowing God translates into living like Jesus. But, you know, that's not easy. It's not just like, uh, you know, I'll read my Bible and I'll do stuff for God. It's, it's much bigger than that, right? And that's why the third thing Paul mentions as a fundamental is you have to continue drawing your day-to-day strength from God. Continue drawing your day-to-day strength from God. In verse 11, he says that we're to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. You know, living a life that is in full pursuit of knowing God and allowing that knowledge, that internal thing that God does to translate into my life touching this world That's impossible without the strength of God. You can do a lot of Christian-y things without the power of God in your life. In fact, I think one of the things that's that's creating kind of this ennui in um, the Christian community is that we've really grown accustomed to doing easy works, works that we can do in our own flesh. And we consider that peak performance. It's like, you know, just kind of like, basic things that you don't even need God for. And we grow accustomed to that lifestyle. Things that are attainable in our own capacity so that we just kind of stay in this kind of flimsy, non-productive faith that is not challenging to us. You know, has there been something recently that like you really needed God to do. Because see, Paul here is not praying for average or mediocre. He says, 
I want them to bear fruit in every good work. It's not like I want them to bear fruit in a work. It's like every good fruit. I want maximum potential from you. To me, it's like progressive weight training. You familiar with this? It's like the, when you work out, the idea is to, to make that muscle work so hard that it has to recover. And then, the, so today you do 10 push-ups. Well, the next workout, the goal is to do 11 push-ups. You know, it's not, I, I feel like this, like, and don't let me offend you. I, I'm going to, though. Um, you know, if you go to the gym and you're on the recumbent cycle, and you got your book out or your People magazine, and you're just like, that's not working out. Now, someone grabbed me in the hallway and said, you call me out, man, because I read my Kindle, but I work out hard. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you get the picture, right? It's like, that's, it's like there's like a progressiveness in that. And I think that our faith is meant to be that way, too, that God wants the most from us. Today, you, you might have already prayed, and, you know, was your prayer like, you know, God, help me do something magnificent for you today. There's a thing in front of me that's like, I don't know if I can do it, so I need you, God, to help me do this thing, because I can't do it on my own. Or did you, like, throw up some lame prayer, like, God, just help me get to church safe? You see the difference? When you think about your faith in that way, like it's scary, isn't it? It sounds impossible. It's just too hard. That's, that's why Paul goes on and he says, I'm praying that you have all this power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And these are two different words, even though they sound similar. Endurance here means to kind of like stick with it. It's constancy. Just, just wait and stick it out. But this other word, patience, it's more than that. It's not a passive resignation to this is my situation and I just need to hang in there. It's bigger than that. It's like to stand up and front, front up with the opposition, to overcome it, to engage in the battle with it, to rise above it. You see, Paul's prayer, fundamentals, is that Christian people are going to put themselves in a place where they really need God. And in doing so, they're going to need everything they, they can get, everything that's available to them, that they must be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. You need it that much. I need all the power that's at His level, His glorious might. But there's, but there's even more that we need besides His might to be available to us. And that's in verse 9 when he says, you need all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You see, I need, I need the strength that God gives me, and then I need the understanding and wisdom that only the Holy Spirit can give to me. If I'm going to take on the things that God has called me to take on. This week alone, I've had so many conversations. I... Um, I talked to a friend last week who a couple years ago went through a bitter divorce. And he was maligned 
by his partner, which often happens. And big, strong guy in tears is telling me, this has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And in the same breath, he said, but I never have known God like this. This week, I met with a guy who 20 or so years ago lost his son who was 16 years old in a car accident. Brand new driver. And yet, as he told that story, and of course, he and his wife dipped and they struggled, but they're still sweet Christians today. They've emerged from that with with a with the consciousness of God's grace in their lives and are leaning forward into the, the things that God brings them today. This week I talked to my best buddy, Trot. Some of you have been around here a while. Mark Trotter, he's come and spoken for us. He and I grew up grew up together, we became Christians the same day, rode our bikes back in the rain to be baptized, so we got sprinkled and immersed all in the same day. So we got everything covered. And uh, he called me this week, and he said, brother, that's, that's how we talk to each other. Brother, I got cancer. My age. Has surgery on Wednesday. If his PET scan on Monday tells him it's worth it. And he said, you know, God is still on the throne. God has been using him mightily in his work. We're, we're very different people, but I mean, he just did a couples conference where 500 people were at it. I said, Trot, I couldn't get 500 people to show up to anything I said, even if I was giving away steaks. You guys wouldn't come. That's amazing. And now he has cancer. Um, I talked a little bit with somebody I know that um, a few years ago she lost her husband. And she has leaned forward into her life. She gets out of the house. She's not just like boxed in and she gets out. She's super active and doing these things. She's fully engaged with her kids in college. And it's like, she's just like taking on challenges today. Guy came to church this morning that recently moved to Vegas. He became a Christian at this church. We baptized him. Big old, strong, scary looking dude. Uh, became a Christian, and while he was here, he grew and thrived, and, he, uh, and he, his job got clipped, and he had to move to Vegas, and he loves his church. When he told me about it, he cried. Like, I don't want to leave here, and yet he's gone there, and he's, he's finding a church, and God's opening new doors to him. He's just like moved forward in that. I talked to uh, a woman this week who heard her husband is in uh, not medical school, but in his fellowship right now, and he's just grinding. It's like 16, 14-hour days, and then he comes home exhausted, and all this bad stuff happens at work. He sees death a lot, and, and she's at home way far from her family. They're down in Texas. Her, no family there. She's got three kids at home, and like they're just struggling, and she's like, man, I just feel empty and drained, and like, I, I just need somebody to help me. Like, is there something you can tell me that I can reignite my faith? These are people that, like, this is day in and day out. They're facing challenges. They're taking on new things. And yet, every day, 
The only reason why they're still moving forward is they're relying on the strength of God. I don't know about you, but what's the thing that God has been nudging you about? What's the thing that it's going to take all kinds of courage for you to do that? What's waiting for you Monday that you know about that's scary to you? And what, 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 do you feel like, like your, your life has gotten so drained, your spiritual life, that just the idea of reigniting something in you with God just seems so impossible? Whatever your story is, a fundamental part of walking with God is relying on his strength every day. Whatever that thing is, are you taking it on with the glorious might that is available to you? And you are taking it on, are you taking it on with the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit has made avail- available to you? You say, well, I, I just don't think I can do it. You're probably right. That's why you need God's strength. The last thing um, that Paul mentions here is a fundamental is we have to continue standing on the gospel. Now, most of us, when we think about the gospel, we think of it as a one-time occurrence that we, we receive or commit to, but Paul doesn't talk about the gospel that way. It's an ongoing work that God is doing in our hearts, and I'm going to put the last few verses of this passage up. Verses 12 through 14, he says, In giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And quickly, in this part, as Paul wraps up his prayer, he's not just giving theology about the gospel, he's giving images. And I want to pull those out if you look up at the scripture. You see the word qualified? Qualified means like, you're, you, you have to pass a test. You have to be certified. And you know, the good news of the gospel is you don't have to qualify. You don't have to meet a standard. Jesus met that standard for you. Another picture he gives us, he says, the inheritance of his holy people. Some of you are sitting here today, and you can't even fathom the idea that you belong here, that everyone else has their life together, and you don't. You are not just adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. You receive an inheritance. My kids are always looking at me like, is he getting sick enough so I can get his inheritance? I'm just going to leave him like three old t-shirts and a pair of shorts that I wore every day. They're my family. It's like everything I have, I'm going to give to them. But I am trying to spend it all before that happens. If you feel like, boy, you don't belong, can I tell you something? The good news of Jesus Christ is that you don't just belong. You receive everything a child of God is due because you're in the family and you are a child of God. He gives the picture rescued, rescued from the dominion of darkness. You feel like you're in a dark place. You feel like life has dealt you dirty, that there's no way that you can get out of this situation, that you're long forgotten. You are not. You might be in the deepest, darkest dungeon of depression. You might have faced a situation you feel has just destroyed you and you think you're never going to recover. Jesus is our rescuer. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he rescues us from that dominion of darkness that seeks to pull us down. He uses the word redeemed. 
He's redeemed us. Redemption is like you owe something. You're enslaved. You're, you're trying to work off your debt. We all have a debt of sin. And yet, you're not going to have to pay that. Did you know that? That Jesus Christ paid your debt. He's redeemed you. He said, I know their situation. I know what they've done. I know the choices they've made. And I know where they are. It's like, I redeemed them. They're mine. They're no longer enslaved to this thing. And then the last thing he talks about forgiven, which is reconciliation between two broken parties. Some of you have been through marriage counseling in the past where like this person that you loved, somehow you grew so far apart, you could never even talk about issues and you, went, you did the work and this counselor helped you reconcile. They, they put your relationship back together and now you're thriving. That's the picture of what Christ has done for us in our relationship with God. You feel you're an enemy of God? You're not. Jesus came to reconcile even, even if whatever sins you have, what, it's like that's all paid for and he's brought our relationship together. Which one of those pictures speaks most to you? You feel like you need to qualify? You don't. You feel like you don't belong? You do. And you have an inheritance as a child of God. You feel like you're in this deep, dark place. Your rescuer is here. You think you're too far gone? and you could never get out of you, you've been redeemed. You feel that you, God is so far from you, Jesus Christ came to reconcile you. I say, Christians, that we get back to the fundamentals. The fundamentals are all about like pursuing God and knowing Him and allowing that knowledge to translate into something fruitful in our lives that looks like Jesus and the only way we're going to be able to do that is day to day relying on the strength of God. And every day when you wake up, you've got to stand firmly on the good news of Jesus Christ because religion can take you over, the world can take you over, but the gospel just has to keep renewing you. It's like keep reminding you that God loves you more than anything else. So, this prayer that I read at the beginning of this message was written to Christians 2,000 years ago. All about the fundamentals. Band come up. While they're coming up, I want us to read this same passage that we looked at. You, everybody stand up. We're going to read the scripture again, only I've taken the liberty of personalizing it. And instead of like it being written to the Colossians, I want you to pray it out loud with me as a prayer for the fundamentals that God wants to see grow in us as individuals and as a church. Are you ready? Let's pray it out loud together. God, today I am asking you to continually fill me with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that I may live a life worthy of the Lord and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that I may have great endurance and patience. And I will give, you, I will give joyful thanks to you who have qualified me to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of your Son, whom you love and whom I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a prayer worth praying. Let's stand, let's worship together.